No question about it. I am ready to get hurt again. And welcome everyone to episode number 14 of the Batter Nets Fans Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Granada. And with me, I have a very special guest. I have Rick Lachlan. You got that right, right? Nailed it. Nailed it. Yep. Nailed it. All right. Nick Rothman. He's the author of The History of the Nets uh, from Teaneck to Brooklyn. I have the book here in my hand. He has it right there behind him if you're watching on YouTube. If you're not watching on YouTube and you're uh, streaming, which most of my people here are, you go ahead and, and get this book. We're going to get into a little bit. But how are you, Rick? Doing well. Yeah, it looks like the Nets are uh, They're finding their footing. They're kind of shaking that narrative that KD without KD Kyrie can't carry the team he's kind of slowly putting that narrative to bed thank god because i think that was that was, i think that was everybody's fear when those it was like the two seasons were mirroring each other right second place beginning of january messed up knee but before we get into all that i really wanted to get into your book uh before i get into the book i wanted to give you thank you for a couple reasons one we were scheduled to do this last week. I had some personal issues. We had to reschedule, so I appreciate you making time for me again this week. Definitely. Fam- family first if- always. So. And second, I don't know if you remember, but last year your book was going to come out. I forgot what date it was. But a week before your book came out, I was going to go on a cruise, and I really wanted to read this book on the cruise. And I contacted you, and I asked you to please send me an early copy, and you did just that. I got it right in time for the cruise, and that's what, that was my reading material. So this, is, this one has been around the Caribbean for a little while, so I appreciate you for that also. Yeah, I'm glad. You're a world traveler, so is the book, and uh, I do remember that story. And you, you were literally probably the, the third person other than my publisher and myself to have the book because it came out. Oddly enough, we didn't even time it to be like this, but it was 7-Eleven. So KD, oh, Kyrie. What could have been better than that? 7 Eleven uh, 2022. And, you know, again, it's sales are going strong. It's at all uh, bookstores available anywhere. And it tells the cover tells the whole story from Teaneck to Brooklyn. I don't think a lot of people know the origins of the Nets. They know about Dr. J and the ABA and the two titles. And they see Dr. J and Super John Williamson and Bill Melchioni up in the rafters. But when you dig deep into the history of this team and all the zany things that happened over the course of the team's history, it's starting with how they began in this basically, uh, you know, National Guardsman Teaneck Armory. It's it's just wild stuff. It's really like stranger than fiction, some of the stuff well, that I researched and, and found. I didn't know a lot of those stories either, especially how you wouldn't assume reading it. You, it's hard to believe that this was a professional team, the way they were sharing a locker room essentially with – Truck drivers, I believe you said at one point, and, and and volleyball teams. And I was reading this. I was like, how is this even – I mean, obviously, times have changed a lot in the last 50, 60 year, years. But it's crazy stories in here. I, I did have a couple questions before we move on, though. How long did it take you to write the book? So, oddly enough, it coincided with the start of COVID, whether that's ironic or sad or whatever you want to characterize it as. So, basically, it was – You got a lot of time to- on your hands, though. Yeah, exactly. The timing couldn't have been better. Uh, obviously, it was a ter- difficult time for a lot of people, sure. but you know, being sure. locked in, so to speak, it, it, it worked out well. So March of 2020, it took about maybe 14 to 16 months to get to almost print. And then, you know, there was some lead time before it hit bookstores. So almost two years. And again, uh, there's constantly going to be updates. So like at the end of this year, 
let's say the Nets win the title. You can dream big. I know it's the battered Nets fan podcast. You're waiting for the other <laughs> to drop. But let's say they win the title. There will be an addendum and an addition, like commemorating, you know, any type of win that they have this season, whether it be championship, Eastern Conference, what have you. So it's something hopefully that Net fans can, like yourself, and I'm, I'm so happy to be able to send it to you, can have on their bookshelf, but also if their future, you know, seasons, it will be updated as well. Now, did you purposely set it up for the, this summer 2022 to release because you thought maybe you would be celebrating a championship and this would kind of just help the book ride a momentum of happiness i'll be honest i mean i was at game five of uh, bucks nets back in 2021 and you know this is right in the thick of writing the book and i'm right. literally kind of getting towards you know i'm in the later brooklyn years and getting towards current day and boy, was I thinking it could be a storybook ending and watching KD's performance in that game, 49 yeah. points. I'm thinking, you know, maybe they don't go to Milwaukee and win. Maybe they come back and win in game seven. And I heard that sound bit in your intro, just, man, just really, <laughs> it's just bitter. It's like such a, not even bittersweet, just a bitter, bitter moment, that, you know, having yeah. it toe in the line. I just still kind of pinch myself to say that the book could have coincided with what could have culminated in a championship. Wasn't meant to be. You know, I know Net fans are going to kind of rue that day, but look, everything's in front of them this year. They're starting to hit their stride. We talked about before the start of the show, they were 0-4 with Kyrie carrying basically the ship, and it looked like a repeat of last year when they went on the 11-game losing streak, and yeah. they've turned things around. They're now, what, 1-4 out of their last six. They're 4-2 and two in their last six, um, and of course have Boston uh, – you know, on Wednesday night without Simmons, without TJ Warren. So if they're able to stabilize things, get KD, I know he wants to come back for the all-star break, get him back in the fold. Um, again, they, this to me is the most well-rounded team the Nets have had since KD and Kyrie have been here. And I know it's a, it's a jam-packed Eastern conference with a ton of talent at the top. Um, but if they do have a chance to come out of the East and, and make some noise, I think. I mean, we're 10 games into it and uh, we're, we're four and six as of right now. 10 games into last year's, we were two and eight. So, I mean, not a huge difference, but definitely, I mean, you feel different because last year we were two and eight and James Harden had one foot out the door. So you felt that these things were just going to get worse. Uh, before I, I get off the book real quick, just want one last plug for the book. There's a couple stories in here about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Kobe Bryant. Like we've missed out on some players. But I didn't like I didn't know these stories of these players that could have possibly been Nets. I don't want to get too into it. If you guys want to read into it, I'm telling you, get the book. It's really interesting. And also, a lot of Nets fans that are, are more or less my age are Drazen Petrovic fans. And you really you know dive deep into the whole Drazen Petrovic passing and whatnot. Really interesting read. Uh, so just wanted a one last plug. Awesome book. Make sure you guys go ahead and get it. So back to uh, this this KD list streak. So we're 10 games in we're four and six. And I personally feel like th there's no more comparison to last year. This is a different roster. Last year we had Kyrie part-time this year. We have him full-time last year. Nick Claxton wasn't the Nick Claxton that he is now. And then we don't have a part-time player as far as, I mean, I guess you could call Ben Simmons a part-time player. Like half in, half out, kind of like James Harden. <laughs> right. But, you know, for the most part, th this is a, a, a well rounded roster. And I and, think. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and even J Sean Marks, like you look at the roster, as you mentioned, that they built around KD and Kyrie. 
It's well-rounded. Last year, whether you look at the additions of DeAndre Bembry, you look at uh, you know any of the guys they brought in during free agency, even uh, Javon Carter ends up in Milwaukee. All the guys that were supposed to help and contribute the supporting cast around their two superstars didn't even finish the season with the Nets. If you just oh. go back up and down that roster, uh, you know Bruce Brown is no longer here. He's having a tremendous season in Denver. I think you know he's probably one piece you would definitely miss. But overall, again, offensively, defensively, I mean, the big thing to me was the team started one and five, two and six, weren't responding to Steve Nash. And you mentioned the record wise, does it look a lot better than last year without KD? It looks better. But but the, the thing that I'm looking at is the morale of the team. I'm looking at some of the smiles along the bench. There was just something off last year that I couldn't at, in the moment put my finger on. I thought maybe it was some resentment from hardened to Kyrie because of the whole vaccination fiasco. Um, but yeah. it, it ran a lot deeper than that. It went, you know, philosophical differences with the coaching staff with Harden, philosophical differences between how the medical staff was handling his hamstring injury. I mean, I went to a couple of games early on last year and I mean, it just looked like a continuation of that game five when Harden, you know, came back and was basically working on one leg. I said to myself, this is like, gosh, like five months later and he doesn't look much better than he did in the playoffs. So I don't think people realize like how serious of an injury that was and that he, you know, was basically rehabbing the entire summer and he was trying to ramp up in, in season and kind of just hit the ground running and it didn't work. There was resentment towards Kyrie, Steve Nash, you know, look, was he a great leader on the court as a player? Absolutely. He was thrown into the fire to deal with two supersized egos in his first coaching gig. It was a difficult spot for him. He was very close with Sean Mark, so that kind of went in a lot and went into the hiring process. And in retrospect, he just wasn't the right guy for the job. And you can see Jacques Vaughn now in his second head coaching opportunity, his first opportunity with, with Orlando, that he's grown by leaps and bounds. And the team is responding to him. And I think the most important thing that I'm seeing, and I think KD and Kyrie appreciate, is he's holding everybody accountable, That whether that's you know holding shoot-arounds before games, practices, calling people out from the top of the roster to the bottom. Um, it's just a, fresh, a breath of fresh air after Steve Nash kind of just, I hate to use the expression, let the inmates run the asylum, but basically just let total chaos break out in the locker room and on the court. I, I agree with you, basically everything you said, but I think that Nick, uh, not Nick, uh, Steve Nash gets a little bit of a raw deal because last year, I don't know if any coach could have righted that ship with the, the vaccine, the KD, you know, uh, getting injured halfway through the year, James Harden being, like you said, on a bad hamstring and just being frustrated with the situation with Kyrie. Like, I don't think that there was much that Steve Nash could have done. Again, I, I was a Steve Nash supporter up until the playoffs. I thought that his rotations against the big Boston team, playing like four guards at a time, it drove me crazy. At that point, I was done with Steve Nash. But I, I think he gets a bit of a raw deal in that aspect because I don't think any coach would have done a good job last year. Yeah, he, he got dealt a really difficult hand. I think the number is – they set an NBA record for different starting lineups. I think they had 35 different starting lineups, which, like, you even do the math. How would you even come up with an, a roster of like, – You know, it's, <laughs> it's crazy, yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll agree with that to a degree for sure, and I kind of felt that way too. I mean, look, he handled his – whatever you want to call it, a mutual parting of ways, firing. I think they tried to obviously let him down easy like they did also with Kenny Atkinson. But, you know, he's a classy guy, and – Look, if he wants a second opportunity in coaching, boy, did he learn a hell of a lot about handling supersized egos, handling drama in, in sure. locker room fighting. I mean, that season last year and even part of the season before that, as far as injuries are concerned, 
he was dealt every type of adversity. And I thought that he was a cool as a cucumber for the most part. The issues I had with Steve Nash, frankly, were just twofold was one. You mentioned some of these rotations in the playoffs against the big athletic Celtics team. He, he just kept he kept going back to the well, back to the well, not giving Blake Griffin an opportunity, uh, not Blake playing Griffin Andre Drummond in minutes, not not trying to overload on size. It was just head scratching moments, and you know Ben Simmons having the back issue, and then of course shutting it down after some reports that he could come back as early as Game Three. It was just kind of a double, and I hate to use the word double whammy because whammy yeah. is uh, <laughs> you know the guy that jinxes all the uh, opponents, but yeah, it, it's it's just such a uh, I guess. For Sean Marks, it was really not his finest offseason, I felt like. He didn't give Steve Nash much to work with, and then you, you couple it with Kyrie's situation and Harden. Um, it, it's just – and then the way this season started, it was just very hard, I felt like. There was still something off chemistry-wise. They start one and five, two and six, and then, you know, Steve Nash, obviously, they move on from Steve Nash, and look how the turnaround has been. So I think better Steve Nash is maybe better off for this. Maybe he'll join in a front office role somewhere. Or as a consultant again, and the Phoenix Nets, and something, yeah, yeah, and the Nets are very happy having. I think Jacques Vaughn for sure. I I agree, and I think that Ime Udoka, as as like he was rumored, I'm sure he would have been a great coach also. But I think they did fine with Jacques Vaughn. Jacques Vaughn's doing great, and I'm glad that he got that opportunity. And look, I'll be honest, we don't know all the details. What comes to light about the Ime Udoka situation? I, you know, I have a feeling it runs a lot deeper than it's it has to. It has to. Uh huh. And, and I mean, you know, with all the controversy the Nets have had, it's like it, it it's almost refreshing seeing a guy, a high character guy like Jacques Vaughn. You ask, you interview anybody across the league, and you know, watching him play, of course, with the Nets backing up Jason Kidd, winning a NBA championship with the Spurs. He had everything you could ask for in a head coach, and he's doing everything that uh, KD and Kyrie want is holding them accountable. But he's he's very classy in his approach. He's not afraid to you know address players and tell them when they're wrong. But he's not a yeller. He's not going to alienate guys. I, I think he's the perfect personality. And X and O's wise, maybe there's some room for improvement, but. Overall, he, you know, I think it's the right move. Man, he's quick to call a timeout, which I love also. It, it, it right. could be the yeah. first possession of the third quarter. And if there was a defensive breakdown, he's calling timeout. Like, we got to talk this over. I, I, I love that. <laughs> and um, Steve Nash was the opposite. He would like, it was almost like a Phil Jackson. He would just sit yes, back and kind of like let it, yeah, and like let his team fight out of it. And it's like they're, you know, they're, this is like an 18 0 run. What's, what's going on here? He's like, they'll figure it out. They're professionals. Yeah. yeah. And more times than not, they didn't. A hundred percent. Uh, the whole Kyrie, uh, the Ime Udoka thing, I honestly believe that if the Kyrie situation isn't happening at the same time that Steve Nash gets in, gets fired, I do think they end up hiring Ime Udoka. I just think they couldn't double down with the drama that was already occurring, throwing that on top of it. It would have been just a disaster. But I really yeah. do think that, that they were planning on getting him at some point. But, yeah, you know, I mean, like Adrian Wojnarowski, who's who's basically the mouthpiece for Sean Marks, said they're going to be hiring him and making an announcement the next day. So, I mean, that – that to me stopped at ownership. It was almost though, you know, Sean Marks, the front office was on board and ownership, I guess, has the ultimate say. And Joe Sy, he's been under fire for a number of different issues, probably didn't want the pushback and the and the yeah. negativity that would come with the hiring of Ime Udoka. And I'll give him all the credit in the world. He was able to unlock. I mean, remember this, the Boston Celtics pretty much this time last year, maybe a little earlier, like mid-January. They were, were just kind of stumbling along in the middle of the conference. Mm -hmm. And then they had this just dramatic turnaround in that run all the way to the NBA Finals. Take a 2-1 series lead. They have a lead in game four. It looks like they go up 3-1. And then, of course, we know how the rest of that series went. Right. I'll give I'll give Ime Udoka all the credit in the world for unlocking Jason Tatum's uh, uh, you know defensive ability getting uh, Jalen Brown to play with a lot more confidence offensively. 
Um, but again, you can see that with Joe Missoula, they haven't really missed much of a beat this year in Boston. I think Ime Odoka is a terrific coach, but you know, it, it's not, the Nets shouldn't really cry over spilled milk. I think they no. have a terrific coach. I, I agree. I think they, I think they ended up really well with, with Jock Vaughn and I'm glad that Jock Vaughn finally got that opportunity because he knows he was passed over. He had that funny quote where he said that my, uh, I wasn't my wife's first choice either. We've been together 20 years. So, you know, so I thought that was hilarious and I'm glad that he's taking it in stride. Um, Kyrie, obviously one of the reasons why we've looked a lot better than last year. Now a report came out that said that the Nets are in no rush to give him an extension. That didn't surprise me. I think it makes sense. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, it's just funny how, how crazy things flip, right? I mean, this time last year, it's like, get, can't when the trade led deadline is approaching before Harden's traded before the whole Simmons for Simmons and Drummond and Seth Curry for, you know, James Harden deal happened. All of a sudden, now you flip fast forward one year, and it's like let's sign Kyrie to a supermax. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I think you got to pump yeah. the brakes on that a little bit. I mean, Kyrie is motivated; he's showing up every day. There's no he, you know, he did have the incident earlier this year with the documentary link that was posted that was controversial, served his suspension, you know, paid his you know debt or whatever you want to call it, and now he's he's been uh, you know nothing but a, an outstanding teammate and player, and elevated his play in the absence of KD. So is he deserving ultimately of, of an extension? I think so. But I'll be honest, why would the Nets do that at this point right now? I think that Kyrie has said multiple times he wants to remain with the Nets. He wants to finish what he started here with KD. I don't think if the ball is in the Nets court that Kyrie's going to start, you know, looking for other destinations. So, you know, they, they can wait and see. And quite frankly, a motivated Kyrie that's not going to, you know, know that he's collecting that big contract is probably the best thing for this team because he's going to have everything in the world to prove. So let him finish out the year on a prove-it deal. Hopefully he carries them along with KD all the way to an NBA championship, and then everybody's in a great mood, and there's all handshakes and kissing babies and high fives, and you can work <laughs> on the, the financial side of stuff. But for now, let you know, let him let him really prove it, because you know, again, for he sure. lost a large portion of the fan base last year with you know, which was a personal decision. Again, nothing personally I held against him, but. You know, he lost some of the people in this fan base. And then even with his antics earlier this year with the documentary, he still has to prove that he can not be – he can be the front page story but not the back page story. Well, it's funny because I, I look at him as, you know, those players that – like Grant Hill that no fault of their own. Grant Hill was just injury prone. It just felt like everything he did, he would just end up getting injured. I feel like by no fault of his whole career, he's just controversial. He doesn't even mean to do anything that's going to be controversial. He literally posted that picture, probably not thinking twice about it. And then just an avalanche followed. And obviously he had opportunities to, to you know, make it better soon thereafter. He chose not to, and it, it made things a little worse. But I, I understand the Nets front office as far as just waiting and see. Because, you know, sometimes there's just players that can't get out of their own way sometimes. But on the court, he's been the reason that this team has been playing amazing. And, I mean, I, I can't imagine him not being on this team right now. So... I hope they figure it out. And he, he, as of right now, he deserves the money. He's done absolutely everything possible to earn that money. And I can't imagine that on this team. And really what it comes down to is just staying healthy, obviously staying on the court and staying out of the, uh, the controversial side of the media game. You know, again, reporters play games and trying to trap him to different questions. For sure. Kyrie's a smart enough guy where he's not, I think from this point moving forward, he, he's not going to have any self-imposed controversy, at least you think. I hate to say that. And then well, that's happens, what I thought but, before the season started. Yeah. So, I mean, look, he, you know, he, again, everybody, you know, you, you live in a free country, you're entitled to say what you want to say, but there will be re repercussions. You know, my, 
personal feeling about it was I thought he had, like you said, an opportunity to apologize and kind of like backtrack from what was put out there, whether he just didn't understand what it was or, you know, was just, you know, whatever it was and just didn't do that. Didn't really come clean and just apologize and move on from it. It could have not blown up into what it was and just made it worse. So I think Kyrie kind of just has a track record of doing that. Maybe, you know, part of it is, you know, Sometimes people say he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. Sometimes maybe he is, but sometimes he's got to just maybe be a little humble and just understand, you know, certain people can get offended by certain things and understand his platform, use it how he, how he chooses. But also, you know, again, when you, you're going to offend certain portions of the fan base, that's going to hurt the business side of the nets. That's going to alienate certain people and create a lot of other off the court distractions. And, you know, the nets know this is a business. They're going to try to have leverage and try to, use some of these things, the games that he's missed off the court, you know, from injury and then all some of the other issues to try to, you know, not devalue him, but negotiate more team friendly deal. But like you said, as far as a basketball player, if he's on the court and he's healthy and he's being a good teammate and everything like he's been the last couple months, and there's no question in my mind, he deserves to be here and, and frankly finish out the prime of his career here. And financially, I don't think there's any other team that can give him more money. Like we could give him the four year, $200 million max. And if he wants that, he's to either sign with the nets or do a sign in trade. So again, for that reason alone, there's absolutely no reason to rush because you know that you could either sign him yourself later on, or you could do the sign and trade and get something out of it. So, so I, I understand the front offense and not rushing in the situation. Um, as far as Nick Claxton, Kyrie, definitely the catalyst for the way they've looked over the last 10 games. I know they've only won four out of the last 10, but they, they've looked competitive, right? They're not getting blown out like they were last year. But Nick Claxton has taken his games to another level. Now, I remember when we traded for James Harden, I was really upset. One, because I wasn't a James Harden fan. Two, because we gave up Karis LeVert and Jared Allen. Jared Allen ended up being an all-star, and you just felt like, wow, we lost James Harden and we lost Jared Allen. But I'm starting to kind of feel like I kind of like Nick Claxton's game a little more than I used to like Jared Allen's. How do you feel about Nick Claxton? Look, and I have to address that, what you said about uh, – I know you were – there was like basically a split in the Nets fan base. Half the fans loved the James Harden move. Half of them couldn't stand it. I, I, I was of the believer that I thought it could work. And, again, I would argue Kyrie doesn't have his sprained ankle or, bro- you know, he had a broken ankle, I guess, in game three of the Bucks series. James Harden doesn't, you know, in the first 50 seconds of game one strain his hamstring that they win that series and, you know, they have a they have a clear path to an NBA Finals and arguably would be the best, better team against Phoenix to win that Finals. So ultimately that trade for James Harden, if everybody stayed healthy, would have panned out and Sean Marks would have been looking, you know, been oh. reaping the benefits of that. That's let, not let, what let, happened. And, and just, I felt – sorry, go ahead. Let, let me just be real, uh, real quick. I just want to clarify. I wasn't a fan the day it happened. Two or three triple-doubles down the line, I was in love. I yeah. got my James James Harden jersey. I bought the fake beard. Like I was all in. Don't get me wrong. Right, I was right. Initially, when it happened, but and when I, I, I won't fault you. Yeah, and I wouldn't fault you at all for that because James Harden changed his game. I mean, he became exactly, a facilitator. Exactly. You know, he, he was the trip missed. He was basically Jason Kidd on steroids, scoring wise. Right. I mean, he, he was the, the whole, you know. Uh-huh. It was like nobody saw it coming. I talked to a couple of Rocket reporters that I know that had covered James Harden. They also thought it was a terrible move. Like, there's only one ball to go around. Kyrie has to play. You know, Kyrie needs the ball. KD, how is this going to work? He he was able to fit in, blend in perfectly. It's just the yep. injuries derailed what could have been a championship season. Um, but getting back to your point about Nick Claxton, you know, I think this playoff experience playing against Boston, 
in in the playoffs really you know made him improve his game he seems like he's a, a gym rat the free throw shooting is coming along he's playing it and i haven't seen a, a nets defensive player play like this probably since like sean and you know sean bradley's not even on this level but block wall you know protecting the rim wise um you know so i mean he's doing everything and anything you ask of him and i think this is really the tip of the iceberg for him i mean he's to in my mind the head and shoulders above for the defensive player of the year award. I think he has a future all-star nomination, even though you have Katie and Kyrie on the same team, likely for the next couple of years, I still think he could get an all-star nod. And ultimately, again, I, I like Jared Allen. He was a great player, uh, you know, ferocious rim protector as well. But I, I just like, I think that Claxton has another level that he can get to, especially his physique and his physicality. I think, you know, he, he can build on that and be a more imposing center with some more weight training and uh, just getting stronger overall as a center. But, you know, he might, he might need some help. He's really the only true center on the roster. That's where Sean Marks is really going to have to earn his keep ahead of the trade deadline. Well, and the whole Jared Allen thing, I remember people used to criticize Jared Allen because they said he was a little soft, right? You don't see that in Nick Claxton. Nick Claxton will get in your face. He'll get under Joel Embiid's skin without a problem. You know, I, I'm all for the Nick Claxton, his personality, his swagger, like, to, uh, I love Jared Allen, but I'd take Nick Claxton over Jared Allen. And maybe that's a biased take, but that's how I feel at this moment. Remember the 20, look, remember the 2019 playoffs against Philadelphia in the first round with Joel and B uh, and the elbow yeah. was thrown. Yeah. I mean, if that was done to Claxton, yeah. I think we really know what the reaction would have been. We saw the For two sure. of them get into it, you know, yeah. uh, last week, I guess that was, right? So, I mean, yeah. he got into it, Montrez Harrell. Uh, you know, Jared Allen was was a great guy. I mean, loved by the media, such a nice guy. But he is a nice you know, guy. to stand up to some of the bullies that are in the league, and they're not that many because it's really a wings and guard league. But the Joel Embiid's of the world and Montrez Harold, um, Claxton has shown that he's got that toughness and that kind of grit, and and he's got a little bit of a nasty streak in him too, which you know rubs some other teams the wrong way. But it's yeah. nice for the Nets finally to have kind of a bully on their side as opposed to always constantly getting bullied. And we got Maurice Morris on the on the bench also to come in and be the the bully whenever we need to every once in a while. Exactly. Um, you you get brought up something that that I bring up often. If and everybody brings it up, Kyrie and James Harden they don't get injured. We win that Bucks series. We probably obviously a lot of things can happen, but you feel like there's a possibility we win the championship. And we I were mean, undersized. Yeah. We were undersized for the most part, correct? But yeah. our offense this year is better than that, that year's offensive rating. I don't know how, but it is. Um, this year, I feel like everybody's really uh, bent out of shape because they feel like we're not big enough. We need another big. We need another big. But that year, we weren't big enough either, but everybody's convinced that we would have won the championship. Do we really need another big that desperately when we say that that team could have done it without a big, even though we were playing against Giannis in the second round and Aiton possibly in the finals. Like, do you really think this team has no chance if they don't make any other moves, if they go with this roster, that there's no chance of winning the championship? No, I, I think everything's there for them. The difference I would see between this team and two years ago is that team with Mike D'Antoni as the architect of the offense, that was literally, if you look it up, was the most efficient offense in NBA history. When you're talking in, a, in an era right now where scoring is at an all-time high, defenses really have little recourse as far as, like, you know, having contact with, with, uh, with players on the offensive side. I just feel that really it's going to hinge on the health, frankly, of Ben Sim I know everyone's killing Ben Simmons, and I'm seeing some signs that are very alarming about him getting hit in the face and all of a sudden a mysterious knee injury is cropping up. 
So, I, I, look, I'm not poo-pooing any of the things that people are saying about him. <laughs> but he, having him in a series against Giannis or against Tatum or against uh, Tobias Harris with Philadelphia, he's going to be that defensive stopper the Nets never had. So what they lost in offense and Harden, they made up for with defense and rebounding and and hustle plays when, when he's healthy and when he's on the court in Ben Simmons. I just – as a as – a, seeing the Nets and being on the battered fans podcast, waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's all, I'd always like to see reinforcements because God forbid something happened to Nick Claxton. Where would this team be, uh, you know, down the stretch runner in the playoffs? Well, with the trade that trade deadline approaching, right. There, there's a couple of names out there. There's only one that I think that didn't no, Okay. Let me rephrase that. It's not only one, but the one that I think makes the most sense is Mo Bamba. One, because Orlando is ready to get rid of him because they're going to lose him for nothing in this off season. He's not getting anything, any big minutes because Jonathan Isaac came back and, and this kid Wagner, I forgot his name, Mo Wagner. Something Mo like Wagner, that. yeah. Yeah, he's come on. So he's having a hard time finding minutes. He would be a perfect player for us. Now, we would probably have to give up Joe Harris, and I don't know how willing we are to give up Joe Harris because although you could say, oh, I, I wouldn't mind giving up Joe Harris since we have Seth Curry, or I wouldn't mind giving up Seth Curry since we have Joe Harris, they're both really injury-prone. So I feel like when you have both of them, you already have one consistent shooter always because one is bound to get injured. So I, I don't know how comfortable I feel about losing a Joe Harris or a Seth Curry, but I think Mo Bamba would fit this team very well. Do you have any names in mind that, that you would like to see maybe get traded for? And just to address that quickly, um, Joe Harris, I've seen now three rounds of playoff basketball from Joe Harris. Remember, he missed he missed the majority, if not all, of that uh, COVID bubble series against Toronto where they got swept. But, I mean, I, yeah, I guess his grandmother passed away or had some kind of uh, a funeral. Yeah, I think it was a family issue, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, um, what I've seen from Joe Harris is he, he's a terrific hustle player, great culture guy. At this point, he just doesn't look healthy from that ankle injury. If you can move him, you have a similar player, like you said, in Seth, in Seth Curry that is injury-prone as well. But he, I think he's more of a big-game performer. I think he's going to come up big in a lot of big spots. If Mo Bamba, I think, would be an excellent pickup for the Nets, versatile. I mean, the guys talk about a unicorn. Even KD and Kyrie were just waxing poetic about him after they played the Magic earlier this year. I think he would be terrific. I also thought possibly as a buyout candidate, Mike Conley, because the glaring need I see on this team, in addition to a center, is a backup point guard. I mean, I just when when Ben Simmons is out of the game and it's all ISO KD, you saw how many turnovers KD made in the playoffs last year. Yes. Really, the Nets, it's not great for the Nets to have KD as their primary ball handler. You need a true point guard to kind of initiate the offense and put these guys into positions to score. And, you know, you're going to wear down KD. That's what That was one of the things that drove me crazy about Steve Nash is he just basically let KD bring the ball up the court constantly. I mean, how – and playing 40-plus minutes, it just wore him yeah. down, like, over the course of a season. So you, you talk about Mo Bamba. I think possibly Mike Connolly is a backup point guard. Uh, you know, I've had my sights set on John Collins since probably a couple of years ago, quite frankly. But yeah, it's looking like uh, the Nets are going to be priced out of that and, and Atlanta's going to try to hold up for a King's ransom. So really, it's down to Mo Bamba and and even a guy like Vanderbilt from the from the Utah Jazz. He's a young and promising player. He's probably not as proven as a Mo Bamba would be. Um, so ultimately, again, I think Sean Marks is going to have to get creative because a lot of these teams are going to want first round picks or young assets like Harris and Cam Thomas. Which you know, do you really want to give up Cam Thomas that can go for twenty plus points any given night in 15, 20 minutes of play? You know, that's what they're going to have to evaluate. With with the TJ Warren uncertainties with his knees, I think Cam Thomas is almost necessary 
Because when TJ Warren's not out there, you need a bucket to come off the bench to spell Kyrie every once in a while. And there's not many. We have a lot of specialists, like, you you know, three-point shooters or whatnot. But you don't have guys that can beat other defenders off the dribble like Cam Thomas, Kyrie. Maybe TJ Warren can get to the bucket. But outside of them, I mean, Seth Curry tries to do it. But I'm not a fan of him trying to do it too often. So um, I I agree. And the whole Mike Conley thing, that's interesting. It's the first time I hear that. I hadn't heard that he, he might get bought out. And again, that's that's some speculation, but you know, you know how NBA Twitter is. Some stuff you got to kind of yeah. sift through what's real and what's not. So it yeah, is a yeah. possibility. How likely it is, I don't know. Um, I would like to say one thing about the you know James Harden's fit in Brooklyn too was again he was when he before the hamstring injury he was able to penetrate, get into the paint, draw fouls like his mo, and also distribute the Nets. That's my other concern about the Nets offensively is, you know, look, KD is, can he get to the paint? Can he get to the line? Absolutely. So can Kyrie and Spurts. I felt that in that Boston series, they weren't regularly attacking the rim. They were settling for a lot of outside shots. When they're hitting them, everything's great. When they're not, TJ Warren isn't fully healthy. Ben Simmons doesn't want to shoot the ball from a foot out. So like you said, I think Cam Thomas is that kind of X factor, that extra punch and oomph off the bench that they probably need. So, again, they, they're going to need guys that can attack the basket. And it just, to me, T.J. Warren, there was a reason why he was kind of just sitting out there and teams are kind of trying to figure out his his health because it's still – he reminds me and maybe in a little bit better shape of, than James Harden. But last year, James Harden, like the first half, still trying to kind of find his way. But who knows? Again, we still have, what, three months until the playoffs start. Yeah. A lot can change in a matter of three months. You saw what the Nets looked like pre-All-Star break and post-All-Star break last year, their sure. team could look a lot different come April. And I give Cam Thomas a lot of credit because being in a sophomore season and then just randomly being called for every five games or so, like, here, get on the court and just score. It's, 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 it's rough. But he, he, he takes his shots. He, he takes the chances when he can. All right, so coming to a close here. Um, KD, I always thought that he would return after the All-Star break. If he returns after the All-Star break, I believe that's in Chicago, that would be 18 games missed. Now, maybe he comes back a couple games before then, but let's say hypothetically he misses 18 games. If we could somehow end up 9-9 nine and nine in those 18 games, right now we're 4-6. and six. So if we could end that 5-3 and three and end up 9-9, nine and nine, I think that would be a huge achievement. How and and I think... I think KD is like is very anxious. I mean, he's even said like he's targeting. They're going to have an update next week about KD, but he's targeting to be back before the All Star break, get a couple games, at least a couple games under his belt, so that he can participate in the All Star game festivities for the first time as a Net. I think you know. Does that make you nervous as a Nets fan? Absolutely. Yes. I mean, yes. I, you know, this is a glorified. I used to love the All Star game. I don't know about you. When it was East I, versus yeah. West, and then it became mm-hmm. Team Giannis against LeBron or Team Durant versus LeBron, and now it's it's basically glorified pickup ball where you're picking your squad like what thirty minutes before tip off. You know, is it great for the pageantry? Could KD go, you know, in a warm up jacket, wave to all the fans, maybe shoot one shot, and then sit on the bench? Absolutely. But is it really that necessary and important for him to jeopardize something to rush back? I, absolutely not. Not for net fans. Not. not for yeah. Net, not for net. Exactly. Maybe for the rest of the, those fans that made him one of the leading vote getters, probably. Yeah. So uh, at the yeah, at the end of the day, for me, it's it's they got to kind of play the long game, but it is important. You don't want you know you don't want this going too much longer, and the net's kind of sinking down to that five six territory, and then all of a sudden you find yourselves in a three six matchup in the first round against against the Philadelphia 76ers. That could be trouble you know, without home court. So 
you know, they have to find that delicate balance. I think he's going to be back before the All-Star break. I initially said he's going to be back right after it. But I think KD, when KD pushes for something, whether it's a trade request, whether it's rescinding the trade, or whether it's I'm coming back for the All-Star break, he, he usually gets what he wants. So Yeah. All right. Um, I usually end this with two quick questions. So let me just ask you two quick questions. Your favorite Nets player of all time, which I believe I think I know who it is, but your favorite Nets player of all time and your favorite Nets moment of all time. Wow. So I would probably, I guess they coincide. So I would say Jason Kidd is my favorite player of all time. Just watching his intangibles, even, even games where it looked like he could. Sorry. I thought you were going to say Vince Carter for some reason. I, you know what? He's a close second. I just, cause the team, just because of Jason Kidd willed his teams to two finals. I mean, that first year was a Cinderella out of nowhere season. Vince Carter was the most entertaining, like show stopping player that I've ever watched. It's incredible. But Jason Kidd's just – and Lawrence Frank says this in the book. It was just like his indomitable will. Whether he had an off-shooting night, whether he was maybe a step slow because of injury, he was going to just do everything in his power to get the team involved and engaged. And, you know, that's why he's now on his second coaching stop. He has those that intangible quality just as a leader. So, for me, he's definitely tops of the list. And I will say uh, that game two in San Antonio where the Nets, right, they got swept – in their first year, 2002, against the Lakers 4-0. Yep. They lose game one in San Antonio, so they're now on a five-game losing skid. And that was on the heels that year. Remember, they sweep they sweep the New York Knicks, they sweep the Boston Celtics, and then they sweep the Detroit Pistons. So they're riding, what, a 11-game winning streak into that finals. And then all of a sudden it becomes, oh, my God, now the Nets have lost five straight finals games after an 11-game playoff win streak that year and then they were able to on a unbelievable Steven Jackson had a chance to win at the end and of course misses a three that to me was one of the highlights and I felt like the Nets really had an opportunity could have and should have won that NBA final that just they ran into another dynasty twin towers and David Robinson and Duncan and Tim Duncan and it was just too much the Nets just never had I guess maybe that's why I have PTSD about the Nets getting a big guy because I have because I always see Jason Collins and Todd McCullough and all these guys that it's Kembe Mutombo that can never, yeah, they can never neutralize another center, and they, you know, they got beat beat down low so badly, including Kenya Martin, who had the flu in one of those games as well. So, all right, well, I by the way, your Swamp Dragons, just oh, very cool. I wore it for you because you know I, I, there has to be like a throwback night at some point, right? Like they're doing all these gimmicky things. They got to bring back the swamp or, or bring, you know, a yeah. theme for Swamp Dragons because I mean I think it's a fun story. I think there was a there was a story and I have to confirm it, but that the Nets like abandoned the trademark for that like in, in recent memory. So they've kind of like given up on promoting that or even like including it as part of the team's history. It's one of those things. Maybe they're thinking, oh, I, I hope it just kind of goes away because it was more. I thought it was amusing. It would have been, you know, oh, kind of right. gimmicky but funny. But maybe they're trying to just like distance themselves from it because they're trying to push the the Brooklyn brand and the Nets brand, you know. Oh, and that, let me end it on that last question. I know we're running up against the clock. Just no, one fine. last question: Do you think that the Brooklyn Nets will ever embrace the New Jersey history? Because I know they kept the Nets name. You said it in your book. They kept the Nets name, you know, to keep that history but they don't really include the New Jersey necessarily. It's just they kept the name Nets. Yeah, I, I don't think – I think it was, you know, the first couple of years it was a Brooklyn, 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 just kind of jamming it down your throat. And here we are 10 years later, and, like, the Nets brand – and I'll be honest, I think Kyrie Irving was a major impetus. He's a New Jersey native. He, like you and I, watched Jason Kidd growing up in those back-to-back NBA Finals game, you know, s- series. He said when he arrived in Brooklyn – 
I'm going to be the one to get to and win a finals this time. So, you know, he, he loves the Nets brand, loved when they are in New Jersey, obviously now is connected with the Brooklyn community, but as an organization as a whole, I think the Nets are so hyper-focused on, on developing and cultivating a fan base in Brooklyn that it, it comes at the expense of a lot of longtime New Jersey fans. And I would argue Long Island as well. I, I think when they were in New Jersey, they kind of alienated and forgot about their Long Island history. And they're kind of repeating that same mistake again. So, you know, it's 10 years in Brooklyn, but I know they're selling out games right now because KD and Kyrie are here. But, uh, you know, I still feel like they don't have exactly, you know, they don't have a huge season ticket holder base like they did uh, back in the heyday. It's just a lot of people coming out to see KD and Kyrie and, and get a taste of Nets basketball. And if you live in New Jersey, it's got to be a pain in the ass to get to the arena because, I mean, I, I, I live in Florida now. But I was up there two weeks ago and I, I was staying in the city. And then before the game, I just took, you know, a train down to Flatbush and, and got out and walked to the arena. But if you're in New Jersey, you got to drive into the city and then to Brooklyn. It's got to be a pain in the ass finding parking there and all that. Oh, it's impossible. And there's no at the time when they opened, there was no team owned lots. So, I mean, you were parking in an area that was still in transition. You know, you worried about crime and the safety of yourself and your car. You're not you don't really know the area that well. It, everything that was conducive to, you know, they had the train station that was there. Everything was conducive to mass transit commute from Long Island or Brooklyn Heights. And really, New Jersey was kind of just like figure out your way here, you know. So it just made it doubly difficult. But, you know, there still are that that small core of hardcore fans that are in New Jersey that still want to make it out to. And I would include myself in that mix to make it out to Nets games. But they don't make it easy. That's for sure. It's difficult. They don't even do any New Jersey based events. I know they do the, the practice in the park event in Brooklyn every summer. You know, they used to do it. The T-neck uh, in New Jersey, the Fairleigh Dickens University, um, they used to do workouts there and even at the Florham Park campus. they've just really just ostracized and and gotten away from New Jersey overall, which I think is a mistake. You have an untapped market in Long Island, New Jersey. If they held a couple community events with players and things to kind of, you know, engage with those communities, you you have, you have thousands upon millions of people that would potentially become net fans because of the success of the team and Katie and Kyrie and and meeting these players. And they're missing on a, a big opportunity. I feel. I think it has a lot to do with the whole Knicks competition for the city. And not that uh, nobody expects them to ever be the big team in New York. You know, that's it's the Knicks town. And everybody understands that and accepts it. But I think that they they want to be like, you know, we're part of New York also. I guess if they feel like if they include New Jersey, that, that lessens it a bit. But whatever, that's a story for another day. Hmm. Uh, thank you again, Rick Lachlan, author of The History of the Nets. Again, you have to get this book. Awesome read awesome history and i appreciate your time thanks for having me on great all right and i thank you guys for listening i will catch you guys next week on episode 14 i'm sorry 15 of the battered nets and podcast thank you for listening